Welcome to the pilot episode of Talking Strangers, and I'm your host, Grace. Today, we kickstart our first episode with the team opening up to strangers. Yes, it's rather fitting with our podcast name. Speaking of which, a little backstory of the podcast, producer Aswan and I have been planning to create a podcast for the longest time. And not just any podcast, but a podcast about human beings sharing their stories and discussing about things that all of us can relate to. This episode features Joe Kit Young, creator of Faces of KL. Joe is a super enthusiastic kid who is so brilliant, opinionated, and so much to share that most of the time it left me speechless or laughing at his impressions of old people. Also, somehow there was a lot of mention about crying on the streets. You'll know why later. He tells us about his experiences of people opening up to him, which has humbled him as a person and as someone who runs a well-known Facebook page. Think of him as our local Brandon Stanton from Humans of New York. This is the first time we're doing this, so if you like what you hear, do share it or leave us an encouraging comment. We really do appreciate feedback, and if you don't like it, well, guess what we're doing? Our best! Alright, now back to the podcast. Uh, Fizz of Care was started because I wanted a claim to my feet. So what happened was I saw Humans of New York and of it was course, amazing. Brandon we all know Stanton. Brandon Stanton, bloody amazing, and I saw all the other people doing it. And I was like, wow, this is so amazing. And I want to do one for myself. So I told my friend, uh, this was back in 2000, oh my God, 2013, late 2013. And I told my friend, in 2014, June, I'm going to go learn photography and I'm going to start this thing. I'm going to make the Malaysia version. So much enthusiasm. Yes, I had so much enthusiasm because I was rolling around, doing all these things, attending all these startup conferences, you know, doing that. Right. Just going for all this stuff, saying that oh, I want to change the world, but I wasn't doing anything. So I was like, okay, I need to do make my own project and have something I can call my own. So physical was that answer. And in December 2013, my friend called me up one day and she said, Hey, have you heard? Uh, there's a humans of Malaysia now and it's going viral. Why are you? At that moment, you're just like, I'm just like, oh no, oh no, I gotta do this. So I started. I I gathered two photographers and two interviewers. Because my VM is horrible. It's still, it's kind of okay now, but it's still kind of bad. But it was absolutely horrible back then. So, two interviewers, two photographers come in, and they were like, "Okay." Uh, I told them, "Let's let's do this." And you photographers will take photos, and you interviews will interview. I'll handle the social media. And I didn't even take. I didn't. I was horrible at photography, but absolutely right. horrible. My sister wouldn't even let me use the camera on family trips. Like oh, Dara, no. she's like, you, you want to use your camera on family trips? No, 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 Joe, please don't use the camera on family trips. No, you're not taking a photo, Joe. Why are you taking a photo of grass? I'm like, grass is pretty, no, no. Stay away from the camera. No, Joe. Joe equals no camera on family trips. So, yeah. And then, so I didn't take any photos. I just had two interviewers and two photographers. And it was it was just really, really bad. What happened was we did, we got stories. We grew really fast. We got to a thousand, two thousand, three thousand really quickly and you know, gaining a lot of traction. The thing is, I wasn't doing anything. The whole idea of that project was just to create a lot of buzz, create a lot of attention, copy a, a already successful model and like, hey, this is already successful, let's just use this and we'll definitely be famous. 
And the whole idea was wrong. The whole reasoning was wrong. Even when we interviewed interview people, we just walk in and ask them like one question, two question, five minutes, touch and go, done. Oh, look, we got something viral, let's sensationalize it. So you re- you did, did you, I mean, during the, you know, the interview process with all these strangers, you didn't really get to know them? No, not at all. It was just like, I just want to get something sensational out of you. Right. Tell me something that can go viral. So that was the whole idea. And after a few months in, in June 2014, uh, the entire team say, hey, you know, uh, the photographers had to go work full-time jobs, they were graphic designers, fantastic people. Love them for being there in the early days. And then the interviewers, they, they had to go do other things as well. So after they left, and I was just sitting there, I'm like, shit, uh, what am I going to do about this? Like, there's, there's no... I, I had no camera, and I had no idea how to interview people. Absolutely horrible at approaching strangers. I even left the interviewing to the two interviewers. So all I did was just handle social media, brag about it, talk to people about it, get all the credit for it. It was perfectly fine, you know? like it was great being there. And suddenly it just all came down on me. Like So everyone basically left the Yes. And and you were on your, your one man show. Yes, yes. And I do understand where they came from, I really do understand and I really do respect them for taking that move back then. Because after they left, I was like, shit, I gotta do something. And I was ready to shut the whole project down. Wow. I was like, yes. Really? I'm not gonna do this anymore. Like I, I had, I had my fair share of fame. You know, we, we were on the newspaper and all that. And I was like, okay, I'm good. I can quit. I can just leave. Pretend it never existed. Sweep it under the carpet. And then, but my mom didn't want to do that. So my mom was. Uh, she came to me and she's like, "Hey, what happened to your face of care project? I didn't see you running for a month. Why nothing happening?" I'm like, "Uh, mom, um, my photographer's left, mom." <laughs> and she's like, oh, then why, why don't you take photos yourself? I'm like, mom, my photos are horrible. She's like, no, that's that's not right. And the second day, I had an event. And she called me and she's like, hey, I'm out of your uncle. My uncle's a professional photographer. All right. And she's like, I'm out of your uncle. We're going to get you a DSLR. <gasps> and this is crazy. and Because my family yes, isn't... hope. Yeah, my family isn't really well-to-do per se. But my mom was just so hell-bent on making sure that I could, I would continue on something that I started. That's she, such a great support system Yeah, I know, to it's have. absolutely crazy. So she... Is she your number one fan? Yeah, she, she's been there for every speech and every presentation. It's absolutely insane. I really appreciate her support. And yeah, so she got the camera and I came home and there was the camera and I'm like, okay, wow, now, now I have no do choice. I do with it now? Yeah, now I have no choice but to do something with it. <laughs> So second, the day after that, this all happened really quickly. And the day after that, I had a friend's gathering. I went to the gathering. I had a hangout with some friends and all that. We're like, hey, and then I brought the camera with me. Because I told my mom, oh, mom, I'm going to go out and get some stories in the streets. And I just like try to shut her on. Hopefully, I could sell the camera and give her back the money. Right. So that was the plan. So I went out. I told my friend I'm going to hang out with them. And we went out and blah, 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 blah. So I was taking, I was on the train. So I was on at the train station trying to take the train to meet up with a friend at 7pm. So I went to the train station, I went there and I was waiting for a train. This old uncle comes to me and he's like, Hey boy, where's the Pasaraya train station? Ah? I'm like, uh, uncle, there's, there, there's no Pasaraya train station, uncle. Um, where, where do you want to go? So we, we debate and chat, go back and forth about train station names for 10 minutes until a train comes here. And turns out he wanted to go to Plaza Rakyat, uh, LRT station. So we got that settled. And we chatted, and I was like, hey, maybe I could use this uncle, get something sensational out of him. Shut my mom up and continue the page. <coughs> so that was the plan. So I chatted with him, and we talked, and we talked. And then I was kind of desperate and really, really inexperienced with generally how to approach strangers. So I just went, I was really, really stupid. I asked this downright stupid question. I asked him, uncle, how old are you? Uh? He's like, 
I'm. Wow, what I'm, a good opener. I'm, and he told me he was 80. And this uncle, he told me he was 80, but he insisted not to sit down and train. Right. So I'm like, okay, this uncle is, is, is the deal, you know, he, he knows his shit. So I'm like, okay, uncle, if you're 80, are you afraid to die, uncle? That's a question you would ask yes. every old person. <laughs> I know, sure. yeah. So I asked him that. I asked him, uncle, are you afraid to die? And blah, 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 blah. And he responded. Hold on, let me try and get the response. Oh. But roughly, the response was, um, look me there in the eye and say, like, kid, I'm 80. You know that. My young uncle, you're 80. He's like, most of my best friends are already dead. Oh, no. And I'm like, yeah. He's, he's like, I just saw, I just put one in the casket uh, yesterday. And... To be honest, if you reach my age, son, you're, you're, you're not afraid to die, you're waiting to die. And, you know, my, my kids are in Singapore, they're happy, they come sometimes to come visit me. But everything's great, and to be honest, I'm done with life here. I just, right now, I'm waiting to die. And I'm like, okay, Uncle, so since you're waiting to die, you got such a long life, uh, what was your happiest memory throughout your entire life, you know, you got 80 years to talk about? What was expect- I was in for a long conversation. Right. And he looked at it, and he said, uh, realizing that the woman that I fell in love with when I was in my early 20s loved me back as well. Wow. That was the same woman that he ended up marrying and became his wife, his late wife who passed away and all that. And I was like, so in that moment, I was like, shit, this is a story. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a moment where I felt like, oh my God, I want to tell the whole world about this super cool ADU uncle that I met on the train and he was waiting to die and all that. And I'm like, oh my God. So that rush stayed with me. And I remember going to the train station corner and I was like hearing I'm like, oh my god, this is so good Wow. And I went and I, and I went home, I wrote about the story and then that rush stayed with me and I realised that so this is what it means to run the page on the right track. So you finally found meaning yes, into that, doing this. That the idea was that there were a lot of fantastic stories and that you know you have a responsibility to tell it. And then, you know, it's not about taking KL at face value because KL is a fantastic... Uh, people used to look at KL as a, well, this is a fantastic place. We would look at KL as like, ah, oh, it's such a boring city. It's not like New York. You know, if you do it in New York, it's easy. So many weird people in New York. Yeah. Like, weird people in KL. But trust me, KL is actually pretty bloody phenomenal. Yeah. So I found out that KL and went on and talked with more and more people and the rush just kept being revived. Like, oh my God, this is crazy person. This is a super amazing story. There's this guy, there's this woman who made me cry three times on the streets and all that kind of different things. So yeah, and then Facebook here grew bigger and bigger and bigger. Then we, I got another photographer somewhere along the way, and here we are. And so, has your approach in, you know, interviewing people changed over the months that you started it? Definitely. So what happened in the early days when we approached people was uh, we would just go easy, go to KLCC Park. Right. Go to KLCC, go to the park. And, you know, there were tons of people smoking there. I'm not a smoker, but yeah. I just like, okay, I'm just going to suck it up. I'm going to go talk to them. It's like, oh, that yeah, smoke like, up. Mm. <laughs> so I went there, and it was easy, it's easy to just approach them because they're sitting there, they're smoking, they're trapped there with you. Right. So I sit down, and so in the early days, I just go up there, and as they're, if they're sitting down, I will be standing, I'll look down at them. I'm just like, hey, can I interview you? Just got a quick uh, five-minute chat. That was the kind of shitty way to do it. Like, and the whole conversation would involve me standing and looking down at that guy sitting down smoking. Didn't work. Slowly, I realized that okay, you have to get down to the same level as that person, no matter what level it was. So I went down to the same level, started sitting down with people, and from sitting down with people, I ended up squatting on the side of the streets. And at one point, I was sitting on the floor at the KTM station with a musician whom I thought was really broke, but actually was really rich, oh, okay. uh, which was quite a, quite a surprise. And I was sitting there, um, bright orange pants, 
wow. and like just white shirt and everyone walk past looking at like is this some social project why is this boy dressed so well <laughs> so yeah and, and it's that I think is the biggest change like that you know like just going down to the same level as that person and apart from that it's really about approaching people with the right questions and I guess I trial and error try and error my way around people and how to get them to tell you know, their lives out to me <laughs> I feel like the most the biggest challenge is to get them which is the theme for today's right. you know podcast right yeah. um, opening getting them to open up to you mm-hmm. I always I feel like that's the toughest thing how do you get so comfortable I mean besides just you know sitting on the same level with them right how do you even like begin to approach them oh here's a surprising fact People are more comfortable with strangers um, than people they know with certain issues. So here's here's the thing. When you tell your best friend about, let's say, your boyfriend or girlfriend yeah. over an open mind, um, <coughs> uh, you're ranting about your, your, best work, your, your other half to your best friend, you would have a certain amount of reservations because you wouldn't... You're afraid they would judge you. Right. You, you wouldn't tell them everything. You wouldn't tell them like the kind of uh, whatever things that you do or what all those kind of things. You wouldn't tell A some things, you wouldn't tell B some things because they know you and they know the people around you and you wouldn't want them to judge you. But when it comes to a stranger, so what I do is kind of leverage on the fact that like, look, I'm a total stranger. I have no idea about your past, your future or your present and you could be lying to me for all I know but I don't care. I'm just going to have a blank conversation with you and then we'll publish this like the best part, like the most important part of it. And... So we go with that approach. So people are generally comfortable, like, okay, they know, like, I just tell them, like, I'm not going to judge, you know. I met people who are absolutely crazy guys who tell me about how they have three or four wives and then come up, and sometimes they don't end up publishing some stories because they're just so crazy. Um, <laughs> and all kinds of stories, but it's not up to me to judge. I just stay still, listen, you know, So you're basically going in there with zero to no judgment. Yes. Like, little to no judgment yep. at all. Yep. Because I realise that if I start to judge them now, and I'm being more surprised and also going on the wrong track. And so many times I did start up trying to judge, I would go up to a guy thinking that he's, oh, this guy looks so jolly and happy and I end up being devastated and like crying on the back of the long gang. Okay, or like... <laughs> so, or times, or like this one time I went up to this guy who was pretty chill, he looked like a... looked like a... looked like not a nice... looked look like not a really nice guy. And I was like, okay, maybe I'm just going to try my luck. Hopefully he... he be chat. He went up to me and chat. realized he was a really great guy. Told me so much. He was a lawyer. And yeah, just judging just isn't isn't gonna get me anywhere. So learn the hard way. And yeah. And then of course there's also strategic ways to approach our questions as well. So when I talk to someone, uh, usually I just begin very plain, uh, simple, straightforward questions like, uh, what's your background? Sometimes I don't even ask their background. I just should ask them. Okay, let's let's go with a crazy question. What is your happiest memory in life right. and then like your happiest proudest moment it's kind of, of like Brandon Sanders yes, approach uh, kind of, well, yes. right? how much of how he does it has influenced you a lot a lot um, I watched I bet you like I bet you watch like a yeah, bajillion yes. videos of I binge all I watch all his videos of his demonstrations his uh, on street work and it's about learning from him and then also developing on top of that as well because he's he's working in New York yeah. but the culture's different and I'm is it different though? Is it that different? To a certain extent, yes. Because, uh, of course, there's some issues in Malaysia you can't talk about. That's that to begin yeah. with. Uh, but isn't being just, you know, a human being a universal thing? Yes, of course. Uh, that's that. But 
then you can see like how Brandon could just walk up to any stranger in uh, New York yeah. and just like, hey, I'm grab a photo, okay, shoot, thanks. But whereas in Malaysia, that is a little bit more reserved. A little bit more reserved, but also a more strategic way of approaching it as well. Uh, Have you ever been rejected? All the time. Yeah? Or rejected. Uh, like, what's the ratio? Um, in the beginning, it was about, rejection was about 80 to 90%. So I would go out and talk, I would get 10, talk to 10 people, 9 of them would just like, no, 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 don't take my photo. And then maybe one would be really nice or just be at the moment like, oh my god, I want to tell someone about this something and that happened to be that. And it's about being strategic with uh, with Malaysians, Asians in general because right. generally we, uh, we were not raised with a culture of being having a photo taken or That's with true. a culture of uh, being blatant with someone because we're used to bottling everything up in our culture. So when approaching uh, Asians, I go up to them and it's been very funny reactions. This is most reactions, most of them. They don't say no. I walk up and say, hey, can I take your photo? Um, you, I walk there and say, hey, can I take your photo? You look great. I love your earrings or whatever. And they're like, okay, okay, I'll take your photo. They think I'm asking them to take my photo. So they end up like, okay, okay, I'll take your photo. I'll take your photo. So this happens so much all the time. People, really? Yes, people think I'm asking them to take my photo. Did they not understand English? I know, because I guess maybe I speak a little quick because I'm anxious as well right. or and whatever so that's a general standard reaction but then I'll talk to them and say hey can I take your photo I want to take your photo it's for this thing and I want to talk to you and it's just uh, we just really want to have a conversation and like talk about what you're and all that stuff so yeah and then they they say they say no or yes yeah either they say no or yes if they say no then I'm like okay uh, if they say yes okay great let's just sit down and start chatting well if they say no then I'm like oh um, okay fine there were times where I did try to push and I realised that that didn't really end well if it's a no it's a no and there was a time I asked I pushed for it I'm like oh no really do you, are you sure I know it's just a short conversation no fuck off wow has anyone actually cursed at you yes wow. surprising it was an American who cursed at me which I would want to ask yes. uh, Foreigners You know like You have tourists coming yes, in Like do you interview them as well Yep uh, Are they more open to the locals Or are the locals more open to the The locals foreigners? are more open Wow Yes the locals are more open I, I guess when you're traveling You also have some reservations as well As to the strangers in another country Really? Yeah. I would think that they would be more Surprisingly open. Yeah I know In the beginning I also tried approaching uh, tourists more Because it was like cheating Yes. It's easy, you know, let's go out to a Caucasian and like, hey, I'll talk to you, yeah, sure, I'll talk to you, I'm going to tell you all about Europe. Um, but no, surprisingly, over time, I found out that locals were more, uh, they were more easy to approach as well, because you're approaching from, to begin with, you're at the same level, yeah. right? you're speaking the same language, same kind of, uh, same accent and all that, same culture background, so the approach is much easier in terms of local. And so... Those who actually said yes, yes. they know that you're going. They're going to be published on this yes. Facebook page. Yes, yes, okay, I, so I, I, to yes. I usually make it clear. Then I break it down. Then I'm like, okay, it's going to, after the conversation. I told them, okay, it's going to be on the page. And do Do you like later on email like just message them and say like, hey, you're published, or do they are um, they aware? Like, um, not on? not really, because I don't want to make any guarantees to publish or right. anything so did they actually check back on the page do you, do you get any responses back um, yes like- uh, surprisingly I do I get quite a lot of responses sometimes people message me hey uh, thanks for publishing blah 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 short, short ones or people sometimes I get friend requests on Facebook I don't know how they track me down uh, I get a friend request on Facebook I'm like mm, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, I, from last tra- yeah 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 um, making a lot of friends uh, yeah and so that's that but then there's also response people are like telling me like hey there were cases where people would say can you take it out 
wow. that you don't feel comfortable with uh, what was published or they at the spur of the moment they told me everything they were perfectly fine and then after they went back and they saw the, the response for it they were like right. okay. then you take it down yeah they, they were like no I can't do this because some stories were I've had some really great stories and really fantastic people yeah. who told me about their struggles and all that but then these were struggles that they didn't tell anyone before so right. when it came out they were like oh my god my family's going to know about it oh. and all that and you know, like, okay, no, it can't but happen. weren't they aware from the start that yeah so that's why as I said you know you're telling a stranger you have you, you feel like the stranger is not going to judge you so you tell everything and it's spur of moment you're like yeah it's perfectly fine just publish it I'm cool and then after that you it go, hits them you go back and you see the back the, the response people people supporting you with fantastic support but then your family's like hey why, why did you talk about this like it's not great like why are you why are you bitching about your ex-husband or your, or your ex-boyfriend or your ex-boyfriend comes back at you for it which is totally horrible and there was one story where she was such a great woman. This lady I uh, talked to, and she told me about how her, her her husband was a absolutely horrible man, and he he was just not a great person. And she stood up and she left him. And when I approached her, she just like just freshly left this person. And it was so. And I told talked to her, and she was telling me all this great story about her her personal empowerment. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And she's like, yeah. Like, Tell the whole world about it. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. And then it went, it went, it went online. It put it up, and then she went home. She said, no, can you take it down? My family's coming after me. Wow. Yeah. That bad. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. So, I'm sure. Well, you've told us like quite a number of mm-hmm. you know, stories, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But there has to be one that is the most memorable. Oh yes, yes, yes. Bad. Definitely, uh, there was one that just, and I'm still trying to follow up with it too today. Oh. Uh, yes. Uh, hold on. But what happened was there was this lady, a man on the streets. Uh, we were having a collaboration in the Kacharasu kitchen. Right. We worked with them to, so the the idea was that we'll follow them, they would do their thing, and then I would just talk to the to the people on the streets, what they call clients, and uh, whom I call really, really, I just call people, really show people. And I went down there and I talked to people and I met this... It was a really eye-opening experience. Till today, I still work with uh, Charles Soup Kitchen because I'm... One, I'm trying to find a lady. Two, I'm trying to also find other stories as well. And it keeps me keeps me grounded. So, I met this... Well, on my first time there, I met this lady on the streets and I was chatting with her. I asked her, hey, do you have a place to stay? She said, yeah, I stay, with, uh, I stay in this uh, little room with this guy somewhere. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, so, I chatted with her, I got her story. And she told me, so what happened was that her husband was a criminal and oh. he got locked in jail and all that. He was a horrible person. And she, her children are all in Johor. She's from Johor. And the children are all in Johor with her mother-in-law. And she came to KL looking for a job, but coming to KL is not easy to look for a job. A lot of people come to KL looking for jobs, but they end up realizing that the job market here is even more competitive than it is in their own states. Yes. <laughs> KL is horrible. They come, she comes here thinking that she can get a job, get some odd jobs, but the jobs don't really last because she needs to constantly go back and check on her children and whatsoever. So it becomes really tough for her. And so her jobs don't really last and all that. And the economy being bad. So she's working on and off odd jobs, on and off. And sometimes some jobs give her a place to stay. Sometimes the job doesn't have a place to stay. Then she'll end up sleeping on the streets. Only up to recently, she met this guy who's a really fantastic guy, and then she stays with this guy who's kind of like her new uh, boyfriend, something like that. Okay. So really cool guy. Uh, they're both really cool people, and they and she's just working on and off and all that. But the thing is, I asked her like, so what do you tell your kids 
about what happens in KL. And she's, she, she's like, they don't know. They don't know a single thing that's happening right now in KL. What they think that's happening in KL is that she's working a stable job, that she has stable income. So she sends money back every month because she needs to make sure her children get all that because the children are very young, they're in primary school. Sends money every month. And, they, and she tells the children, like, you know, just everything's fine. Uh, mom, mommy has a fantastic stable job. I, she, her kids think she works in a restaurant. Right. That she has a very cool boss and all that. And that's this huge story. And I asked her, like, why don't you tell your kids the truth? Like, you know, like that it's not easy in here. That money is hard to come by. Like, why don't you just tell you, tell them your struggles? I mean, they're like twelve. They should be a little bit old enough to understand. And she's like, she, she, she just looked at me and she's like, how do you muster the guts to tell your children that you're homeless? That to Remind them that when they go to school, their mom doesn't have a place to sleep in KL. How do you tell your children that? Then I was like, I was speechless. And she's like, I don't want them to grow up thinking that their mom is a bum on the street and alcoholic or whatever. I don't want them to associate me with those kind of people on the streets. I don't want them to know that I'm that kind of person. I want them to know me as the proud and strong mother that I am, who makes money for them, who wants to make sure that they get the best growth, and that they don't need to know how I get the money. As long as they get to grow, as long as they get to learn, and go to school like normal children, like having a normal family, and everything's fine. And I'm just like, shit, this is crazy. That's a very noble thing to do. Yes, and I'm just like, this is, this is insane. So, I posted up a story, um, and people came around it, all the years they came around, they say, hey, I have a place to work in. We want, we want to get a job for this lady. I have a place, I, I have a vacancy in my place. I can give her a job. She can even stay in the shop or anything. You know, we want to give her a space. People came and they were like, look, we could get her a job. We could even raise money for kids to have a stable education all yeah. the way. And I was like, this is crazy. And we have this whole bunch of people who are still in the message box. It's been well over a year. And, you know, I'm still trying to find this lady. Oh, you can't. We couldn't find yeah, her. No. After that situation, and the week after, I talked to the Charles and Christian people. They, they keep trying to most people, and they say they've also been trying to look for her, and they couldn't find her. Last they heard was that something happened, she disappeared, went back to JB, right. and then nobody's heard from her ever since. And I'm just like... That's pretty unfortunate. Yeah, and uh, there's this whole bunch of uh, readers who came, and they say, look, we really want, we could get her a job, we yeah. could get a place to stay. And we were ready to help, hopefully, help figure things out together with her. That's, that's pretty incredible. It just shows... Yeah. It, it's good that, you know, you were able to get this story out. And also, I think it creates a human connection yep. between, you know, the people that you interview and also the people that are... You know, it's quite surprising that people are so supportive mm-hmm. even on, you know, online. After they, they're probably very touched about this. Yep. And also, it's just that, that human connection that you've developed. And it's a great thing that you're doing this right now. So... I guess we just hope that. Are you guys still looking for her? Like? We're, we're still we're still looking uh, now. Anyways, we're still looking for the lady um, till today. I still try and uh, I work with the Kacharas Kitchen team. I work directly with Project Manager. It's fantastic guy called Justin Chia. It's a fantastic person. And him and I, we hang out every time. We're asking, hey, have you met the lady or not? And then he'll say, yeah, maybe. And sometimes there are reports of people seeing her. Right. And then we get there, then we, then we don't find her anymore. So we just... Because I guess being her, she doesn't have stable jobs to begin with. So it's tough for us to track her down as well. So, yeah. Well, we wish you guys all the best. And yeah. hopefully you guys will find her in the end. Because 
it's such an incredible thing. And so where, so what is, um, where do you see Faces of Care, you know, yep. going after this? Like how, what, are there any future plans? Are you guys going to go bigger? Okay, so after that, that whole series that we did on the urban poor, Yes. and the homeless people on the streets, we realized that, hey, we have the ability to use this page to project stories, project stories that usually wouldn't hear about, as you said, a human connection. Mm-hmm. To bridge a human connection between stories that we, between issues that we always try to avoid. Because it's easy to sit back in your, in your room every day and say, oh, look, there's this really cool positive story about this guy on the street and all that. But how do we bridge the gap between more critical issues and people who are just sitting and chilling at home and just absolutely sick of the news Public, telling them like oh this horror terrifying thing is happening we always get published the negativity or everything like oh all this horror that's happening in the Syria there's all this thing happening in Greece all this the Paris attacks the, yeah. and all that and no one's really doing anything and yeah and it's easy to become so um, insensitive but I mean desensitized about the whole issue mm-hmm. like oh yeah just another bombing uh, just, just another 5,000 refugees escaping across the border because you see so often and they all become numbers and the way that uh, traditional journalism and people when we and just general media likes to approach it is just oh yeah yeah you know just we they make everyone a statistic because they think it because people big organizations think that you know like it's that it's that's the way to approach issues that you know if you throw big numbers at people they'll feel like oh my god this is a big issue but that's not the truth it's it's so dehumanizing when you when you reduce refugees were running from the country to just simple like he's just one out of 10,000 refugees who knows what might happen and all that kind of thing so what we want to do is bridge that gap um, as you said human connection it's to humanize the entire issue go down ground down personal mm-hmm. grassroots stories one by one by one by one and this is so, also something that we learned from humans of New York as well like how you approach the uh, refugee situation early yes. uh, in last year and how he's approaching the whole thing right now with the cancer patients is fantastic. And it's like, hey, if he could do it, why can't we? And instead of following the following everyone's trend, there's been a lot of fantastic photojournalists from flying all the way to Greece yeah. to document an issue, flying to Turkey. But instead of following that trend, instead, like, we can't. We of course we could all on. It would be fantastic. We could all raise funds for Greece and all that. But what about the issues in our home? What about issues we don't? What about issues we overlook? What about refugees in Malaysia? What about human trafficking victims in Malaysia? What about people who also have their own struggles in Malaysia? So that's why we want to go with critical teams in Malaysia. So for this month, we're in discussion to look at human trafficking. But I think at the rate that we're going, probably going to publish it in June. Uh, so that's probably in June, human trafficking. And then after that, we're going to look at uh, refugees. Then after that, we're probably going to look at other issues as well. Probably, yeah, it's just going to see how this comes by. So we want to use our platform to use it to not just not say broadcast but to raise a stronger awareness to bridge the connection between the audience who are just sitting at home looking at Facebook and they just want to find something interesting to see and might as well just serve it into your face and say hey hello this is a true story this is happening and here's how you can make a difference and we're going we're going to bridge we're going to have a link to the bottom like how you could help work with other organizations yes yes so how they could where they could channel either their own funds or their time and all that and yeah we we really want to make a proper difference rather than just be another Facebook page posting a ton of stories because there's so many of us out there. Anyone could do that. But 
how can how can we use what we already have this huge page of ours and we really make a change make a proper make a proper That's difference good. And that's it for our pilot episode. We hope you enjoy listening to Talking Strangers. And once again, there's no better place to leave your opinions than an innocent-looking comment box. So give us feedback. Talking Strangers is produced by Aswan Jamaludin, hosted by me, Grace Lo. And a very special thanks again to Joe, who you can find on Facebook by following Faces of KL. Stay tuned on the Talking Strangers SoundCloud page because we have more episodes lined up for your listening pleasure. <laughs>